Some people don't like routines. I kind of like routines. And my routine is to pray and ask for God's help before we look at his word. And that's what we need, so let's do that. Our Heavenly Father, we, we do need your help to understand your word, to apply it to our lives. Uh, there are some of us here who need strong correction from your word. Some of us here who need strong encouragement from your word. We all need to be better informed about the future that awaits ourselves and this universe so that we would respond appropriately. So we ask that you would use your word now to do your saving work, drawing people to the Lord Jesus in faith. I pray that you will use your word to strengthen your people and to make us holy for your glory as the day of Christ approaches. We pray these things in Jesus' name, for his glory. Amen. I don't watch the news much anymore. Um, seems, like, seems like the news is uh, the problem. So I don't watch it much anymore. But when you do watch the news and you see the horrific events of the day, do you ever wonder why doesn't God do something about all the evil in this world? This is a very common question for skeptics and believers alike. When I was in Cambodia last year, uh, on a free afternoon, I toured one of the torture facilities of the Khmer Rouge, the communist regime led by Pol Pot, who called himself Brother Number One. This was a um, torture facility that had been turned into a Cambodian genocide museum. And the Khmer Rouge killed nearly two million of their fellow Cambodians. And I saw the rooms and the iron beds and the bloodstains on the floor and walls upon walls of photos of victims who were only a sampling of those who were killed. And it was a gut-wrenching experience. And the Cambodian genocide wasn't the only one, was it? There have been many horrific genocides like it in history. And when we see the depths of human depravity in an instance like that and the human suffering all around us, we can't help but wonder, why does God allow evil to continue in this world? Why doesn't God do something about it? Why not deal with the evil in the world now? Why the wait? And today's passage answers that very question. It tells us why God is waiting to do away with evil. And what we discover is that God's delay is not because he is cruel and callous and disinterested in human suffering, God's delay is because he is amazingly kind and patient. 
We begin Second Peter. We began Second Peter chapter three last week, and this chapter is a crash course in the apostolic teaching about the future of the world. Peter writes to correct the scoffers, the false teachers, and these scoffers deny the reality of Christ's return. They deny that there's a, a coming day of judgment, and so because. They deny the coming day of judgment. They live for today. They live in greed and sensuality, and they're getting all that they can out of this world because according to their worldview, this world is all there is. And that worldview of the scoffers is much like the worldview we find in our culture today, isn't it? For many, many people today, this world is all there is. We circle around the sun a few dozen times and then we're worm food. Game over. End of story. And so it's no wonder that people who hold that worldview live largely for today, for pleasure, for the here and now. In sensuality, as Peter puts it. They do what feels good to them They follow their appetites and desires. But the Apostle Peter doesn't want us to live that way. God does not want us to live that way. He doesn't want us to live like those who scoff at the return of Christ. Peter is reminding us of the truth of the future. He's reminding us that the day of Christ is coming and that the day of Christ will bring salvation for Christian believers and it will bring judgment for the ungodly. He reminded us in verses 1 through 7 last week that although this world continues just the way it always has, there is coming a day of judgment when God will speak the word and this world will be brought into destruction and judgment. In today's verses, Peter deals mainly with the question of when. If Jesus is coming again to bring judgment on this world, what's the holdup? Why the wait? Why is it taking so long? And Peter begins in verse 8, giving us the answer, reminding us that God has a different sense of timing than we do. And this is what we would expect, isn't it? The eternal God who is before all things, who existed before he created time and space. We would expect that he would not count time the way that we do. God has a different time scale, a different sense of timing, we see in verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years And a thousand years are as one day. With the eternal God, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as one day. So what feels like slowness to us is not slowness at all from God's perspective. God is outside of time. He is eternal, so his timing is not going to be like our timing. So even when we may feel that God is moving too slowly, that's only from our point of view. 
God is always, always on time. He's not late or slow. He is the eternal God and he counts time differently than we do. But the second answer Peter gives is God's goal, his motive in waiting. We find his motive in verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The reason why God waits is because of his patience towards us. God's patience can also be translated with the old-fashioned word, long-suffering. God is long-suffering in that he suffers for a long time with us. He holds back his judgment upon sinners and he restrains it, giving us more time. But why is he giving us more time? What is the purpose for more time? We find that too in verse 9. God is patient not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, God's purpose for holding off on the judgment of the world is in order to give sinful human beings more time to reach repentance. God is waiting for us to reach repentance because he doesn't want us to perish. This is what was illustrated in the first scripture reading, the parable of the wheat and the tares. The the servant said, should we get those tares out now? And the master says, wait. Wait, because we don't want to spoil the harvest. So God lets evil and good grow up together. He lets evil continue in the world in his harvest field Because he is harvesting a people for himself. And he wants to give that time to grow. If God chose to bring judgment on the world right now, he would be perfectly within his rights to do so. He he would judge the world right now and we would deserve what we get. But if he brought his judgment now, many people would be condemned. Many people who are still in rebellion against God would perish in his wrath. But the reason God hasn't judged the world already is because he doesn't wish for any of us to perish. So God waits. He is long-suffering towards us, giving us more time to repent of our sins and to avoid the condemnation of hell. So, if Jesus doesn't come again today, it's a day for us to repent and to be saved. This is part of God's great love towards us as sinners. God didn't have to send his son into the world to save sinners. He could have just wiped us all out 
That's what we deserve for our sin. The wages of sin is death, the Bible declares. And the consequence of our rebellion against God is not only physical death, but eternal death, the second death, the lake of fire, as the Bible tells us. There is justice in punishing sinners. But although God's, God is just and holy, he has delayed his day of judgment. And in the meantime, he has sent his son to save us from our sins. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why did he do it? Because he loved the world. He gave his son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we might be saved from the wrath to come. God is saving people from every tribe and tongue and nation and we join that people by repenting of our sins and believing in Jesus. That's God's heart. He is a saving and redeeming and forgiving God. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He would rather that the wicked be saved. 1 Timothy 2.4 says a similar thing. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God our Savior desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is God's heart. He is a merciful and gracious God and so he has delayed his day of judgment so that we might repent and escape punishment. That's what verse 9 is telling us. But I think there are two ways that we can miss the meaning of this verse. One way we can miss the meaning is to underread it, and the other way is to overread it. So what would it look like to underread it? Well, if you have such a strong doctrine of God's sovereignty and salvation, if you have such a strong doctrine of predestination, that you can't believe that God wants everyone to come to repentance, as verse 9 tells us, then you might be letting your theology get in the way. You're underreading the verse. Verse 9 is very clear. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He desires our salvation, and so he is patient, giving us ample time to come to repentance. Now, to be sure, there are other verses that talk about God's sovereignty and salvation and the doctrine of predestination, and we need to wrestle with those verses too. We need to wrestle with all that the Bible teaches and how it fits together. And some might fit it together this way to the best of their ability and others might fit it together that way to the best of our ability. But we don't want to miss what God is saying in this verse. This verse clearly teaches that God has a saving intention for all people, for the whole world. And we need to take that at face value and not mute it by our theology. And uh, if you're um, 
if you're thinking that uh, Calvinism or John Calvin, you know, he would differ with me on what I'm saying about verse 9, let's just listen to Calvin. Okay. Um, the Lord defers his coming. This is a little old-fashioned, so forgive me. Forgive him. Uh, the Lord defers his coming so that he might invite all mankind to repentance. For our minds are always eager and a doubt often creeps in. Why does he not come sooner? But when we hear that the Lord in delaying shows a concern for our salvation and that he defers the time because he has a care for us, there's no reason why we should any longer complain of tardiness. The tardy person allows an occasion to pass by through slothfulness. There's nothing like this in God, who in the best manner regulates time to promote our salvation. For God, prolonging longing time to each, sustains him that he might repent. In the like manner, he does not hasten the end of the world in order to give to all time to repent. So wonderful is his love towards mankind that he would have them all be saved and is of his own self prepared to bestow salvation on the lost. So, however we fit all this together, John Calvin is listening to verse 9. God waits so that men will be saved. On the other hand, there's another way to misread verse 9, and that is to overread it. That is to take it all the way to universalism. According to this view, if God doesn't want anyone to perish, then no one will perish. But although God waits so that men will be saved, he will not wait forever. There will be a time of God's judgment. There will come a time when time is up, when God's generous patience runs out. And verse 10 reminds us of what will happen when God's time of waiting is over. Look again with me at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We would never know this was going to happen if we didn't have the Spirit-inspired teaching of the apostles that this is going to happen. But Jesus and Peter and Paul and John... They all tell us that this is what's going to happen, guys. God has been very patient, and for now his patience continues, but the day of the Lord will come. And Peter says that it will come like a thief. And the thief comes suddenly. It's not something you plan ahead of time. A thief does not call you and make an appointment to come and rob you. A thief comes suddenly. 
when you least expect it. It is a surprise. So it will be with the day of the Lord. When we are not expecting it, it will come suddenly. So how can we be ready for it if we don't know when it will be? Can't you just wait until the hour before he returns and get it all sorted then? Can't you just wait and get ready when it happens? No, because you don't know when it will come. It will be a surprise inspection. Don't you hate those surprise inspections? So the only way to be ready for a surprise inspection is to be always ready. To be ready at any time. It's the only way to be ready for the Lord's return is to live every day in expectation of it. To always be ready. And notice what will happen when the day of the Lord comes. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It will be total cosmic upheaval. First of all, notice the strong resonance with the early chapters of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the language of creation. And here, the heavens will pass away and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The heavens and the earth. It's the language of creation. Only this time, it's decreation. It's uncreation. The realms of creation, the heavens and the earth, will be undone instead of done. And we read in verse 7 that God will burn both the heavens and the earth. And in verse 10, we see that the day of the Lord will also be a time of judgment. Peter tells us that the works that are done on the earth will be exposed. Everything will be brought out in the open. Everything will be brought to light. Every secret and hidden sinful deed that we have ever done will be brought out in the open and all mankind will come before God in judgment. God will bring everything we have done into the light. I don't have to tell you that on that day, if we have to pay for our deeds, we are in trouble. Our deeds, our works, are not something that we're going to want to be shown before the whole universe. Our deeds, our works as sinful human beings cannot make us righteous in God's sight. That's why we need the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, the women are studying the book of Revelation in um, women's Bible study, and I think some of them are on Revelation 20, maybe. Here's, Revelation, here's what we read about the judgment in Revelation 20. A lot of things in Revelation are hard to understand. This is so clear and so vital. John writes... Revelation 20, verse 11. 
Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, there are these different books. There's the books that were opened, the the books of deeds that record everything that we've ever done, and then there's this other book over here. And this other book is the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And based on what's recorded in these books of our deeds, well... We're in trouble. And the only way not to be cast into hell is to have our name written in this other book over here. There's another book, the Lamb's Book of Life. And if your name is written in that book, then you will be saved despite the evil you have done. If we have believed in Jesus Christ, then our name is is written in the Lamb's book of life. And if our name is written in the Lamb's book of life, then it doesn't matter what's written about us in the other books. It's all been crossed out. All of our sins that are are a debt against us have been crossed out. And it says something like, paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. So on that coming day of judgment when God brings all of our works into the light, don't think that your works will commend you to God's presence. Those books are not in our favor. When God brings all of our works into the light, the only hope we have is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Have you come to him? That is the whole reason why God's judgment is delayed. The whole reason why God waits is so that we might not perish, that we might come to repentance and believe in Jesus and be saved. So maybe you're here this morning and you don't really want to be here, but it's Mother's Day, so you're here. And... Hearing this, you realize, you believe what God's word declares, that there is coming a day of judgment and your works are not going to cut it on that day and you want to be written in the the Lamb's book of life. All you need to do is to come to repentance, as verse 9 says. All you need to do is to repent of your sin, to confess your rebellion against God, and to claim the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as your Savior and Lord. 
Own Jesus for yourself today and you will be saved. Your name is written there in the Lamb's book of life. That is why God has not brought about the destruction of the world. That is why God's day of judgment has not come. That is why there is still evil in the world and it continues to proliferate and people continue to suffer because God is waiting so that you and I might repent and be saved. And on that day of the Lord which is coming, it will not just be a day of destruction and demolition in which the heavens and the earth will burn. It won't just be demolition. God is also bringing some new construction. We see God's new construction project in verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That is the future. God is making a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth, and this new heavens and new earth will be different from this old one. This old one is corrupted by our sin. This old one is cursed by God because of sin and groaning for redemption. But the new creation that is coming will be perfect. It will be a place in which righteousness dwells. It will be the home of righteousness. No more sin. No more suffering. No more corruption. So let's not be fooled by God's delay. It isn't that God doesn't care. It's quite the opposite. It's that God is patient. His judgment is gloriously delayed, but the day of the Lord will come. And when the day comes, it will be out with the old and in with the new. And those who have not come to repentance by then will be judged and condemned. But those who have come to repentance will not perish but have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And we will move into our new home prepared for us by God, an entirely renewed creation, a new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness, unspoiled by sin. Well, if that is what God is bringing about, since that is what God is bringing about, how should that change the way we live? Well, Peter tells us in verses 11 and 12. Look there with me as we close. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? In lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So first of all, have you repented of your sin and come to Jesus, God's provision of a Savior? That's why God has waited to give you an opportunity to repent. Have you come to Jesus? 
And if you would like to come to Jesus today and you have no idea how, I'd love to chat with you afterward. I'll be up here. And for those of us who have come to Jesus by faith, we are called to live like Jesus is coming back, and it could be soon. We are called to live ready for the surprise inspection. As Peter puts it, we are called to live in lives of holiness and godliness, just as if God were here now, so that when he comes again, there are no surprises. So think about your own life. I think about my own life. Are you living like Jesus is coming again? What are you up to? What does your spiritual bedroom look like? If Jesus came today like a thief when you least expect it, are you ready for his return? Are you living a life of holiness and godliness? Or are you messing around with sin? Are you living like you have plenty of time later to get ready when Jesus comes again? Because you won't have time to get ready when Jesus comes again. He's going to come like a thief. And you'll be ready or you won't. When uh, Kristen and I were expecting our children, we were told to have this thing called a go bag. Right? Do they still do that? It's a go bag and it's this very pretty, flowery duffel bag, usually. Vera Bradley, probably. And it sits by the door so that when it's time to go, everything is ready and you go. I think we had a go bag for the first one. I'm not sure. Kristen would know. I don't know. Um, but the idea behind the go bag is you live in a state of readiness because you never know when the time is coming. You know the time is coming, but you don't know when the time is coming. Well, that is how we ought to live as Christians in this world. We have to live in a constant state of readiness because we know that he is coming again and we want to be found ready when he comes. Well, we're going to pick up more next week Next week we're going to be finishing this chapter about what it looks like to wait well. But the scoffer says, what kind of God would allow evil to continue? What kind of a God would allow things like the Holocaust to take place? Or the the many holocausts that have taken place. Why doesn't God do away with evil in this world? Why doesn't your God do something? And the Apostle Paul gives us the answer here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Why does God allow evil to continue? Because the evil in the world is us. We are a part of the evil in the world. And in his kindness, God is exercising patience towards us. Even the scoffer 
He would rather that we not perish. He would rather that the scoffer not perish. He is giving us time to repent in his kindness. So rather than scoffing at the Lord's delay, let's rejoice in it. We should thank God that he is patient toward us. We should marvel at his saving mercy that he is not wishing that any of us should perish. And let us draw near to him in repentance. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the word given by your Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter that warns us to be ready for the day of Christ. And we thank you for your delay. We thank you that you have given us time to repent, even this morning. And I pray that you would move in each person here, drawing us to Jesus Christ in repentance. Help us to live lives of readiness for our salvation and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.